good morning. Yeah, it's good to be here with you. Um, uh, Happy New Year, right? You made it. <laughs> uh, I want to say uh, welcome to all of you. Uh, if you're a guest with us, I, w- I want to give you a, a warm welcome as well. Those of you who are tuned in online right now, hey, we're so glad that you're uh, tuned in and a part of what God's doing uh, here at Edinburgh Church. Um, how many of you made some New Year's resolutions? Anyone? How many of you have already broken your New Year's resolutions? Guys, it's only the third. Come on. Uh, one of the resolutions, though, I hope you'll make and, and keep is to, to hang with us through this series that we're jumping into today. We're, we're, we're jumping into this series called Choosing Joy, and we're going to be walking through the book of, of Philippians uh, together. And this is, I just felt like, man, we need to study the book of, of Philippians because the, the primary theme of the book of Philippians is joy. And not just joy, it, it's joy in difficulty. It's having joy in difficult circumstances. And if, if there was ever a time for us to, to, to desire joy in the midst of what we're going through as a culture, uh, in the world today, uh, I would say that time is now. And so I wanted us to jump into this book and, and study uh, Philippians um, t- together. You know, one of the things that's supposed to characterize us as Christians should be joy. Uh, Christians are to be characterized by by joy. In fact, it's the the second fruit of the Holy Spirit uh, that that Paul mentions. Uh, He mentions love, which is kind of the ultimate, right? Loving God, loving people. But then the second thing he mentions is we should be a people of joy. The second fruit of the Spirit is, is joy. And so I was thinking this week, though, if you were to ask your neighbor who maybe doesn't know what they think about, you know, this church thing or, or what they think about God, what would, how would they characterize, you know, the average Christian? I was wondering about that this week. You know, based on maybe what they see on the news or in media, things like that, would, would they see Christians as, as people who are filled with joy? I don't know if they would. I was thinking about just some of the people I know in my life, and, and I'm not saying it's all accurate, and I'm not saying it's all fair, but I think if I were to ask them, I, I think they might have a picture of Christians being maybe angry people, because you know, they've seen, you know, Christians, uh, you know, talking about all the things that they're against, and they're upset about that, you know, happening in the world today, and I'm not saying that's entirely fair, but I think that's, they might see Christians as angry. They might see, say, you know, I see Christians as judgmental, Maybe they would say, I see Christians as, as super, you know, serious people. Um, and yet, what we're going to see in Philippians is Paul, Paul wants to challenge us to, to be characterized as a people of, of joy, of, of, of joy. You know, this idea that we're supposed to be angry, judgmental, you know, super serious people, I, I kind of reject that, that notion. Um, you know, we have something called the gospel. <laughs> it's not called the bad spell. It's the gospel. It's the good news. It's not bad news. It's great news. It's the best news. We, we have hope, eternal hope, because of what Christ has done for us. Because of the life Christ lived and the faithfulness of Jesus. And we put our faith in that and we get to receive all the benefits and the blessings that come from that. Friends, we should be a joy-filled people. And that's what the book of of, of Philippians 
wants to remind us. How can we be a people? How can we choose joy? Because if you turn on the news today, it's probably going to bum you out. I mean, uh, if you look at all the problems that are happening in the world today, you're you're probably going to find yourself uh, maybe feeling a little fearful, maybe feeling uh, depressed. Um, But Paul says in the midst of everything going on, choose, choose joy. What's incredible about the letter of Philippians is Paul wasn't talking about his joy and encouraging the Philippians, this church at Philippi, to, to choose joy, you know, from the comfort of his own home. He wasn't like sipping on a cup of coffee with his feet up and, you know, enjoying a good, you know, sunset. He, he was writing this from, from prison. Paul was in a place of suffering when he writes this letter to the church of Philippi. And so for those of you who maybe aren't all that familiar with, with the Apostle Paul, I want to just back up for a second and just kind of tell you uh, his story real quick. Give you kind of just a quick glimpse at the story of, of, of Paul. Before he was known as the Apostle Paul, he, he went by the name Saul. And Saul was a persecutor of the church. He was a Jewish man. He believed in the Torah. And he thought Christians were just wrong. To the, to the point where they were undermining the Jewish faith. And so he was out there putting Christians in prison. In one case, we know he had a Christian stoned to death, a man named Stephen stoned to death right there in the city streets. Uh, he was a pretty angry, uh, you know, super serious type. That's who Saul was. And he was uh, headed to a city in, called Damascus. Okay, because he heard there were some Christians there, and, 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 and he wanted to go and put these Christians in prison. So he's on what's known as the road to Damascus. And by the way, I hope we're all on the road to Damascus. I hope we are all on the road to demask us. <laughs> oh, wow. I, that was my dad joke of the year right there. I already got it out of the way. All right, to get past this virus, that's what I'm hoping for. And we should all be on that road. Just trying to bring a little joy. Trying to bring a little joy to those of you who groaned at that. All right. Uh, But Paul, he's on this road to Damascus because he's going to go persecute these Christians there when Jesus shows up on his journey to Damascus. And Jesus is going to revolutionize, radically change Paul's life. He's going to realize that all those Old Testament prophecies, everything the Old Testament was talking about, was ultimately talking about Jesus. It was all pointing to Jesus. Jesus was the fulfillment of all the things the Old Testament prophets were talking about. He was the Messiah, the Son of God who had come to save sinners from their sin, bringing them back into a relationship with God. And so this changes Paul's life. He's going to become known as the greatest church planner that's ever lived. Uh, He becomes a missionary going throughout the Roman Empire, uh, planting these churches in a very hostile environment. And in fact, he's eventually going to get arrested uh, for his faith. He's going to demand to be able to to talk to Caesar and to make his case in front of Caesar as a Roman citizen. Uh, Paul is granted permission to do that. And uh, so after surviving a a shipwreck, he's eventually going to make it to Rome, but not as a preacher, as a prisoner. And there in prison, as Paul awaits um, potential execution, and by the way, we believe eventually he was beheaded while in prison at Rome, uh, it's there. Not sure if that day would be his last. That Paul writes this letter to the Philippians talking about his joy 
and encouraging the church of Philippi to choose joy as well. That's incredible. That's incredible. I don't know about you, I want what Paul has. You want what Paul has? You, you want that? Where you could be in a place of suffering, you could be in a place of difficult circumstances, and yet you could still have joy. Let me tell you a couple reasons you want joy. First, you want joy because it's something that the world can't take away from you. Now, no one can take your joy away from you. Joy is fixed. We have to understand there's a difference between joy and happiness, right? So, so like, happiness is, is temporary. Happiness is based on what's happening. It's based on your circumstances. And let's be honest, we're not always going to have happy circumstances. Um, there's going to be things that happen in life where we find ourselves uh, not happy. I... Uh, on New Year's Day, I went snowshoeing with my family, went with my father-in-law and brother-in-law. Kids came with, and, you know, and, man, I started off, I was so happy to be outside. I was so happy to be snowshoeing, and it was a beautiful day, and the, the sun was up, and I was just telling everybody, I was like, isn't this, it's just so beautiful out here. We were in these woods. They were covered in white, and it was just, it was absolutely, I just kept saying, man, this is so good. This but when we started our journey back, I thought I was going to die, okay? And um, I was really, it was, it was like one of those movies where I was like, you know, I'm like in Daniel's arms saying, go on without me. Save yourself. Just leave me here. And they did. They just left me, okay? And, and I honestly, I couldn't, by the time I got back, I couldn't even see where they were at. We were out, we four-mile hike, got back when it was dark. By the time I got back, I was not happy. It started off happy, and, and, and three hours later, I was, I was not happy anymore. I mean, that's how quick our happiness uh, can change. Uh, on New Year's Eve, we opened up some shrimp, and I, like, dived into this shrimp so happy. Your pastor ate a little too much shrimp. I found myself sick, nauseous, unhappy. And like that, I went from being happy to feeling. I mean, that's how temporary happiness is in, 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 our, in our lives. And that's the problem, building a life on happiness. And this is what I see so many people in our culture today doing. They're chasing after happiness. They're pursuing happiness. And don't get me wrong, I would rather be happy than sad. Happiness is an emotion that God gives us. It's good to be happy. But to, I've learned, it seems like the people who chase after happiness tend to be the most unhappy people because, friends, it is a false foundation. It is a foundation that is going to fail you. It's temporary. It's not fixed. Joy, however, is fixed. Joy is something that you can have no matter what your circumstance, no matter what your situation is. It's, it's deeper than happiness. It's rooted in, in, in not our temporary circumstances. It, it, it's rooted in our unchanging God and his faithfulness. The one who is same, who, who, who remains the same, you know, yesterday, today, and, and tomorrow. And because of the hope we have in his name, we can have this, this abiding joy no matter what our circumstance is. I want that. And friends, I know what I'm talking about when, when it comes to this concept of joy. See, some of you, maybe all you've ever known is happiness. Maybe you've never known really the joy I'm, I'm talking about and that we're going to talk about in this series. Well, this series is going to be so good for some of us. 
Because when I, when, when I was a teenager and I first became a Christian, some of you know my story, coming out of drug addiction, stuff like that, and guys, my brain was all messed up. You know, it, it, was, it was just, it, I uh, come from a family where depression and anxiety run, and, and you know, many people in my family are on medication and stuff. And this has just been a part of my life, part of my journey. And then you come out of drugs where you've, man, you've squandered all your serotonin, all your dopamine, all those feel-good chemicals in your brain are pretty much gone, right? And I was depressed. Like, I was dealing with anxiety for years. Years. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll share this story with you. Um, I, before I got married to Danielle, actually, I had to take this, like, the pastor who was marrying us wanted us to take this, like, test. I guess it was to see, like, our personality and things like that. And it was one of those tests, like, you weren't supposed to be able to cheat. You weren't supposed to be able to lie. You know, even if you try to, like, answer some things and put yourself in a better light, it, it, it's supposed to catch that kind of stuff. And what, what it found was that I was super depressed and anxious, and it was so bad. I mean, just to just give you a glimpse of the pastor actually went to Danielle's parents and were like, you might, you might want to talk to your daughter about marrying this guy. I mean, that's how bad it was. For now, fortunately, Danielle's uh, parents, um, we had a good enough relationship that they, they, they trusted me and, and, and we moved forward and praise God for that. But that's how bad it was. Like, the pastor was trying to kind of get in the, like, I don't know if you should marry. I mean, this guy's depressed. He's, like, super anxious. Like, this is where I was at. Okay, now I tell you all this. Why? Because the only thing that got me through that was the joy I discovered in the Lord. Because there wasn't happiness. There wasn't. I didn't, I, the dopamine, the serotonin, stuff, that, that wasn't there. Happ but there was a joy in the Lord that sustained me. The world couldn't take that away. My depression couldn't take away. My anxiety couldn't take away. It was a, it was so, it's deeper than your depression. It's deeper than your anxiety. This is why you want this. You want to discover this. You want to cultivate this in your life. Because the world can't take it away. Which brings us to the second reason you want joy. Because joy will be your strength. If you remember in the fall, we studied the book of Nehemiah, and, and, and there, was this, there was this time where uh, the, the Israelites were dejected and feeling hopeless. They were never going to rebuild the city walls, and they were just like, we're throwing in the towel, we're giving up. And then Nehemiah shows up, and what did Nehemiah say? Don't be dejected. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. And it gave them the fuel they needed to finish the wall. You want joy in your life because it will be like fuel in your life. Helping you to sustain difficult seasons and hardships that we all experience in a fallen and broken world. So that's why I'm hoping we're going to commit ourselves to studying the book of Philippians together. Because it's all about giving us a perspective and teaching us principles so that we can discover this joy for ourselves. And, and put these principles into practice that help us cultivate that joy in our life. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, jump in to, to what Paul uh, says here, starting in verse 1. But I, I want to just say this, that one of the places where we can discover joy is the church. The church is a place where we can, that can bring joy into our life. So we're going to see Paul's going to talk about this morning. The, your church family can be a place that brings joy in, into your life. Paul got joy 
from the church at Philippi. So let's look at what he says, starting in verse 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Might want to underline that because we're going to come back to that uh, a little later. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, this is Paul's pretty standard introduction uh, in his letters that he wrote um, to, to the churches. Okay, and then in verse 3, he says this. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with what? Joy. Okay, so here he is in prison and he's saying, as I think on you, church at Philippi, I pray with, with, with thanksgiving and joy for, for, for you. Paul had joy, which is really interesting because uh, we know that as Paul was planting the church of Philippi, that as he was getting that ministry off the ground, it was a difficult, difficult experience for him. Uh, he eventually gets arrested uh, in, in the city. Uh, he gets beaten with a kind of rod that was specifically meant to, to leave blisters on your back and, and would cause uh, that those blisters would, would then burst and you would bleed. I mean, it was, it, it was a pretty bad way of getting beaten. He got beaten right in the city streets and then he got locked up. He got put in, 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 in chains. And you would think, man, that probably was not like a great memory <laughs> for Paul. You'd think that would taint a little bit, wouldn't you? You're your, 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 your thoughts. Uh, but don't we appreciate that God can give us, like, selective memory? Isn't that, like, a good thing? Like, God can, can give us selective, se- selective memory. Uh, he, can, he can help us, like, kind of, like, forget about the bad parts and, 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 and remember the, the good parts, you know? And he's helped me to do that in certain areas of my life with certain things in my past. And I love that, that God can do that. And one of the things, one of the highlights, one of the things that even in his difficulty, even in what would have triggered some painful memories for Paul, uh, were, was his church family in Philippi. He loved the church uh, at, at, at Philippi. And uh, it's interesting that if you study his other letters, usually Paul's got some pretty harsh rebukes towards uh, the churches that he wrote to, uh, usually had to at least do some, some, some correction. Paul's letter to the Philippians, he just loved the church of Philippi. He loved these people. It's unique compared to all of his other letters. He, he had an affection for the church at Philippi that you don't so much see in, in his other letters. He's just a vulnerability of his expressing his love for that church. This was a church that brought Paul great joy. Not that he didn't love his other churches, and not that they didn't bring him a, 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 you know, a degree of joy as well, but he loved the church of Philippi, and it got me wondering, how can we be a people here at Edinburgh who bring each other joy? How, how could we be a church family that when you think on your church family, yeah, there's going to be hard things, and yeah, we're going to find ourselves, you know, sometimes having to live through uh, difficulties in the world, and sometimes even as a church, but how can this be a place that when you think, it brings you joy. Because the church should be a place that produces joy in your heart. That's what I want to talk about uh, this morning. Is, is how can we be a joy-filled church? A, a church that brings joy to one another. That, that helps you uh, have joy in your heart when you think about it. Alright? So uh, we're going to look at the rest of, of, of what Paul says here in his um, 
opening remarks, and I, I see three uh, things that help us to be a joy-filled church. This is what brought Paul joy from the church of Philippi, all right? First, we are a joy-filled church when we are on mission, okay? When we're on mission together. Uh, look at verse 4 and 5. Paul goes on to say, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Why? Now he's going to tell us the why. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Why did the church at Philippi bring Paul such joy? Because they, they were partners in, in the gospel. They, they were a church on mission. They partnered with Paul, and he's talking uh, a little bit here about their financial support and how they had helped him. Uh, but, but they were partners in the gospel. They wanted to see people come to know Jesus. They had come to know Jesus, and they wanted others to come and know Jesus. So they supported Paul and the ministry happening right there in Philippi. You know, it's interesting. Um, the, the first person uh, that Paul uh, led to Christ in Philippi was a, ma a woman named Lydia. And we know she was like this, this wealthy uh, businesswoman. She was a seller of purple cloth, so that tells us something. She was a wealthy uh, businesswoman. Paul actually wanted to go somewhere else, province of Asia, but um, God kept him from being able to go there, we're told, in Acts 16. And then he has this vision of a man saying, come to Macedonia. Um, and so he does. He goes to Macedonia, into the city of Philippi. And then outside of the city gates, he, he meets the, this group of women. And he shares the gospel with them. And, and Lydia receives the gospel. And she becomes the first Christian in Philippi. Then, as Paul uh, is, is continuing to do ministry in, in Philippi, we're told that there's this demon-possessed girl that starts following Paul around, and, and uh, uh, she's apparently some fortune teller, but she's a slave of, of these, these people who are using her to make money, telling people's fortune. This, this girl starts harassing Paul, and so eventually he just turns and he's just like, in the name of Jesus, I cast this demon out of you, and the demon flees, and this girl ends up giving her life to Christ. She becomes a Christian, the second Christian in, in Philippi. Then the business owners, the, the, the slave owners of this girl get mad so they because they, they've lost their business. So they have Paul uh, locked up in, in jail. And then through a series of events, uh, Paul is able to evangelize to one of the, the prison guards. And, what, and the prison guard is, what must I do to be saved? Paul, believe in Christ Jesus. <laughs> And you will be saved. And so now he's got, and so it's kind of interesting. You've got this wealthy businesswoman. You've got this formerly possessed demon girl. You've got this Roman guard who works for the empire, right? The Roman empire. And those three make up the church. That's what Paul plants his church with. Those three eclectic individuals. Yet we know by the time he's writing this letter, this church has grown. Because did you notice that he when he addressed the letter, he said to the overseers and the deacons. This church has now grown to the size where it actually has deacons. Deacons simply means servants. Uh, these are uh, people who run various ministries here at Edinburgh, you know. Is it, uh, the people maybe on staff would be considered deacons, uh, but also key volunteers, you know, people who oversee children's ministry, uh, you know, uh, people who, you know, hospitality team, those kinds of things. Um, uh, people who help people in their 
You know, as a church, we're able to help people who are in financial need. Uh, you've got someone who oversees that. I'm, I'm, it, it, all of these would be considered deacons, servants, people who are serving the church. But then you also have overseers. That'd be here at Edinburgh, that'd be like our board of directors. These are people who oversee the um, ministry and uh, also the operations side of things. Sometimes we, we forget as Christians, there, there is an operations side to the church. <laughs> you should see all the bills that come in every week, all right? Uh, somebody's got to deal with that. Someone's got to plan for that. Someone's got to budget for that. Someone's got to make sure parking lots are getting shoveled when we get snow, right? And so, so you need someone who's overseeing all that. And, and, and so Paul is now addressing a church that's grown from three people to a church that has deacons and overseers. I mean, pretty incredible. Why? Because these people were living out the mission. They had received Christ, and they wanted other people to receive Christ, so they started telling other people about Jesus. And the church grew. And isn't there something about when we're on mission together? You know, isn't there just something about when, if you've ever been a part of a team, or maybe it was marching band or something like that, and you were doing something together that just unifies you and becomes exciting? Friends, that, that's, that's how we should see ourselves. We are united in this cause to tell other people the good news of Christ. I can tell you, the people I love being around the most, the people I just enjoy doing life with, are people who are living for something greater than themselves, bigger than themselves. They're, they're living their life on a mission. I love being around people like that. I hope you have people like that in your life. People who are on mission, yes, we have to work, yes, we need money, but we're living for something eternal so much bigger than the temporary things of this world. Our focus and our mindset is on the kingdom. I love doing life with people like that, and I love doing life with you because we are a church that is on mission. You know, we just had our Christmas Eve services, and our attendance was a little light. We had that snowstorm and whatnot. Uh, but at the end of each service, I gave people an opportunity to receive the gospel. And uh, first service, uh, at the end, I just said, hey, if, if, if you want to invite this God into your life, receive what Christ has done for you would, you, would you be willing to raise your hand? And first service, two people raised their hand. There were two people that, that received Christ into their life. And then second service, there were three people that, that raised their hand and said, yeah, I want to receive uh, Christ into my life. And think about that, friends, for just a second. Okay, five people said, and, and, and what's funny is one of them, I saw one of them come in. I mean, one of them came into the service like this. Like, you could tell they were dragged into church. Like, we could see their heel marks, right, in the parking lot from where they were, they were dragged into this place. And they just say, and by the end of the service, do you need God? Like, yeah, I need God in my life. I need to receive what Christ has done in my life. Friends, if, if those people meant what they were saying, if they meant What they were raising their hand to indicate that they needed Christ to save them from their sin. I want you to realize this. Their life just crossed over from death to eternal life. Those are people who just moved into a guarantee of eternal life. Is there anything more important in someone's life than that? There's just not. And it happened here. And I hope what you're understanding, the gravity of that, how big that is. That is earth shattering. It makes demons rage and it makes the angels celebrate that's a big deal and God did that through us is that exciting it's exciting it brings joy who doesn't want that like who doesn't want to be a part of that I do 
I do. And I love that we're a church dedicated to telling others about Christ. And so this is one of the reasons it, it brought Paul uh, such, such joy. It was a church that lived on mission. The second reason, though, is they were a church, um, or how do we be a joy-filled church, is by knowing that God is at work, okay? Uh, realizing and having a confidence that God is at work in this place, and that he's at work in your life. Because look at what Paul says in verse 6. He says, being confident of this, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Oh, man. What, what an important verse for, for all of our lives. I just feel like this could unpack so much wrong thinking in the church. Paul was confident that God would complete this work he had, he had begun in, in their lives. And not just in their lives. In your life. Um, see, I, I, I found that a lot of Christians, they, they have this, this, this way of thinking where they, a pastor maybe gave an invitation in an Easter service or a Christmas Eve service or Maybe a camp counselor shared the gospel, or maybe it was someone's mom and dad. And then, and then maybe you received it at some point in your life, if, if you are a believer. And you said, yes, I, I want to be a follower of Christ. I want to receive that and receive what Christ has done for me. And see, so you're kind of focusing on the scene. Someone shared it, you received it, and you kind of have this thought like, man, it just seemed like the reasonable thing to do. And that's what people do. It just seems reasonable. Why wouldn't you receive that? But the Bible doesn't focus so much on the seen. It wants to explain to us the unseen. And here's what I want you to understand. If you're a believer in Christ, like if, if you have an affection for Christ this morning, like if you like, ever, like truly realize, like I'm a sinner who needs salvation, do you realize that that's God who did that work and began that good work in your life? Do you know this? Because a lot of Christians don't. They think, I just saw, I heard it was reasonable. There was someone there. It was kind of accidental. No, 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 no. God ordained. He called you, is the biblical language, wooed you to himself. Okay? That's what was happening in the unseen. It wasn't an accident. That's very important for you to understand. So where do you see that in the Bible? Well, it's interesting because I told you Paul's first Christian, person he led to Christ first in, in uh, Philippi, Lydia, Luke tells us about that encounter, and, and look, at, look at what Luke says. He says, one of those listening, because again, he's talking to a group of women, or a group of people at least. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God, tells us she was Jewish, so she knew about the Old Testament. but She didn't know about Jesus, but then the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Who, who, op who, who opened her heart to respond to God did that. And do you realize if you're a believer, God opened the eyes of your heart to see your need for Christ. And I just, if, if you knew that, if you believed that, I just think you would have so much, you would have so much peace, right? You'd have so much peace. You'd be able to rest, not so much me trying to earn God's love, but re recognizing that it's God who called me and loves me. 
And friends, he promises he's going to finish the good work he started in you. We're all a work in progress. You know, uh, we need to recognize we, we all have work that God wants to continue doing in our life. But here's what I want you to hear. It's guaranteed that he's going to finish that work. And, and, and look at me for a second. If that's you, listen, who's a believer, here's what you can know. God is for you. He's for you. He, he loves you. The Bible says he, he chose you before the foundations of the world. Your God is for you. And when we recognize that God is doing that, he's doing that supernatural work in all of our lives. He's trying to teach us things right now through our circumstance and our situation. We recognize that God is at work in us, the one who called us to himself and is going to carry on that work. We can have joy as the people of God. It's not an accident. This is, this is God at work in our midst. Okay, but this brings us to the last one I want to talk about. We live by grace. We live by grace, okay? How do we be a joy-filled church? we got to be a church that lives by grace. Paul goes on in verse 7 to say, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. How are we going to be a joy-filled church? We're going to be a joy-filled church when we receive God's grace and show God's grace to others. This is one of Paul's key tenets, his faith, that, that we are sinners saved by grace, that everything we have is grace. Grace means you don't deserve it. But that God knew us, loved us, called us to himself and shows us this, this wonderful, amazing, abounding grace and the thing I've learned about grace is that when someone shows you grace in life, you, you never forget. You never forget it. You never forget it. Um, I've told this story before, but uh, when I was a, a teenager, I was, well, I was in seventh grade. Um, I, I had football practice, and uh, in the morning I had to take uh, my clothes that I would wear to school to practice because I would work out, I would, I would wear my gym clothes to practice and then have to have a change of clothes for school. Um, and my dad, he kept reminding me, man, make sure you got your clothes for school, make sure you got your clothes for school. I, I get to school, I get past football practice and realize I didn't have my clothes. Now, you, that might not seem like a big deal. This was a huge deal to a seventh grader, okay? I haven't washed my shirt in weeks, it's a gym shirt. And the shorts that our school issued us, friends, these things were like Daisy Dukes, okay? They were one step away from a Speedo. Can you imagine wearing that into your junior high? Nobody would be caught dead. I mean, you would just go hide somewhere in a corner. And I was like, I was scared out of my mind. This was going to like, I, I don't, I was like, I was, I was terrified. And so all I could do was call my dad. The one who had been telling me, make sure you pack it. And I called him. I said, Dad, I blew it. Uh, please bring me some clothes. He's at work. He's an, he worked like an hour away from our school. He didn't say a word about it. He got in the car. He drove home. He grabbed me a pair of clothes. Fought traffic. And he brought me that pair of clothes so I could get through my day at school. Didn't berate me. Didn't keep bringing it up. 
I've never forgotten that. It made such an impression on my life what grace is. And here's the principle I've learned, that when we learn God's grace, we get to show God's grace to others, but it's also true that when we receive God's grace from others, we better understand the grace of God. And that's why it's so important that we be a grace-filled church, because as we show grace to each other, the gospel is able to go deeper and deeper and deeper into our hearts. And friends, you know, I, I've, been, I've been the pastor here since I was 33 years old. I stepped into a pretty heavy role at a pretty early age. I have made a lot of mistakes over the years. And yet this church has shown me so much grace that I want you to understand you have helped the gospel to go deeper into my heart. And to love my God and to love Jesus even more because of the grace that you have shown me. Who doesn't want to be a part of a church like that? Here's what I know. There's a world that desperately wants it. And we get the opportunity to be a people who receive God's grace and show God's grace to others. And friends, as we're experiencing grace through one another, man, our joy increases. Thank you for the joy, church, that you have brought me being your pastor. And so I want to end just challenging you. Uh, Don't just treat this as a thing you do on Sunday. And it's so easy to do that. I want to encourage you, if this is your home church or wherever, maybe you're visiting today, engage your church. Be a part of your church. Step into that. Be a part of the family. Because there's joy to be found here. And I would tell you, Edinburgh's a great place to cultivate joy in, in your life. We're going to end this morning uh, taking communion together. Uh, hopefully you all grabbed one of these. Did you get that? Go ahead and get it out. And You know, I wanted us this morning to take communion together and, and because... It's something that we are supposed to do together. It's supposed to be something that unifies us. Uh, yes, when we commune, we're communing with God vertically. And maybe there, there's something we need to maybe even confess this morning. Or maybe there's an area of your life you need to get right with God. You're going to have opportunity to do that. But it's not just about the vertical. It's also about the horizontal. This is something we do in community. This is something we do as a church family. And uh, so I'm going to encourage you, go ahead and take out your wafer. You just take off that top layer, get, get the wafer out here. As we do this, let, let's be unified. Let's be unified in the things we've talked about this morning. Let's, let's be unified through Christ and what Christ has done for us to be on mission To recognize that God is working here in this place and he's working in all of our lives. 
and then to live by grace, to receive God's grace. Jesus said that this was his body. It represents his body that was broken for us on, on the cross. Why did he do that? So that we could have the forgiveness of sin, that we could be made a new creation, that we could be called what Paul calls them, even though they were a work in progress. He says, you're saints. Do you realize you're a saint this morning? Do you consider yourself a saint? That's who you are. Why? Because Christ's body was broken for us on the cross. Not because of you or your good things or your good works. It's because of Christ. And so together we'll eat this. Jesus said that this is my body broken for you. Um, As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And then Jesus took the cup, which represents his blood. You can go ahead and tear off that second layer. And something the Bible teaches us about blood, the importance of blood, is, is the Bible says there was life in blood. There's life in it. That's why the Jews couldn't eat meat that had blood still in it, because it represented life and God wanted to teach him that lesson. There's life in blood. So when we drink this, here's what's happening. Christ, because he gave his life, we get new life in us. See, you have eternal life, but we need to constantly be filled and recharged with the life that Christ gives. And because he made that sacrifice, you and I can walk out of here being recharged individually, but also as a church family with the blood of Christ. And so... Jesus said, this, this, is, this represents my new covenant. Life with God, a life with me. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. I'm going to close this in some prayer here. This is the prayer that Paul actually prayed for the, for the church uh, at Philippi. So if you just bow your heads with me. God, this is our prayer, that our love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that we we may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Lord, fill us with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, all to the glory and the praise of God. Amen.